As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Will Messelane, current programmer at Massive Monster. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Will. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. I uh, I turned 31 yesterday. And my back yes, happy birthday for that. So I woke up on my bones were creaking. Thank yeah, you. look, I'm a, I'm a couple years ahead of you there, and it doesn't get any better. Oh no! It's a slippery slope now. Once you hit once you hit 30, like 30s properly, it's all it all just starts disintegrating, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been going around saying I'm in my 30s now. I'm not 30. I'm in them. Yeah, you're amidst it now. It's yeah, the degradation has begun. Yeah, love it. But happy birthday for yesterday as of when we record this anyway. Congratulations. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Did you much. do anything of note for the day? Uh, I had a very relaxing weekend doing nothing and not spending it on a computer, that which is, is exactly what I need right now. Yeah, you're on it a fair bit at the moment, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Oh, in enough. Not too much. Enough. Oh, look, when you're, in, when you're as of when we record this, just just north of a month away from a fairly important release it's you find uh, yourself spending a bit of time crunching on the computer not <laughs> crunching crunching you know what i mean yeah yeah no I, I know what you mean and it's uh a little over six weeks uh which i liked to remind everybody of the other day because it's funny to say oh cult of the lamb is out on august 11th that sounds so far away but when you august say it does as... feel like a long way away yeah, but when you say it as it's six and a bit weeks, everyone just goes, oh, and their blood pressure rises, and suddenly everyone's just, like, completely sober. It's like, oh, fuck, we got a, we got a video game to finish. What, is it, what does it look like at this point in development, without obviously necessarily going into ultra sort of specifics, but are there, like, mini, mini milestones almost every few days at the moment, or, like, what, is, what does this kind of period of time look like? Uh, I mean, right now, it's just making sure everything is finished and stable and all yeah. the rough edges are kind of, like, sanded off because it's quite a large game, um, yeah. as you would have seen from playing it and all the previews and stuff yeah. that have come out recently. So, uh, And it's also quite complicated with all the you know Lots base building and followers going. stuff. Yeah, and, and they can have some very interesting interactions sometimes. So when something goes wrong, it's like, not great <laughs> yeah because i'm sure it like spins a f like there's a fairly sizable web that you have to unravel when something like that yeah does i don't out. i don't usually have to do it that's uh harrison and jay's job i just do all the ui so i just sit back and watch them fix it <laughs> well yeah and like you know make comments from the cheap sheet cheap seats as well yeah exactly <laughs> maybe you could try that <laughs> shut up will <laughs> Um, so this is Dev Diary Series. We talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in time. Now, we have just been talking about Cult of the Lamb, and that is an imminent release, and we're all very excited for that. But we're going to shelve that conversation for now, and we're going to rewind to a point well before you even got into the uh, the art of creating games and just wait a little bit into those, those days where you were purely consuming them and nothing more. Do you remember what your first game was that you ever played or what some of the first games were that you ever played? goodness that's going back a long time i've been playing games for a very very long time so i 
I would have been not even 10 years old. It, it must have been some really old game, like the old side-scrolling Duke Nukem's on one of those 1,000 yep. free game CDs that you... Oh, would, yeah, I know the song. They were just, I don't know where they came from. They just appeared in, in my house and Pop the stick them in the computer and play that or play Jazz Jack Rabbit or, you know, something really early like I think that's that. the first Jazz Jackrabbit that's been mentioned on the show before. So Cliffy's oh. real excited there. I think there's like a little <laughs> a little sum of money just dropped into his bank account there. Every time, every time it happens, I just throw oh, him a Oh, Cliffy B. He's a funny dude. Um, yeah, no, I loved that game when I was a kid. My my sister and I used to play it all the time. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the earliest thing that I can remember. And then it was all just like, I got a Game Boy yep. and just played Pokemon. Oh, because well, I, I was in we primary are... school when that came out, so that was all the rage then. We are similar trading. ages, and so clearly we had a similar story in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was certainly, yeah, 96, so that would have been grade... No, was it 96? or not? No, 97, I think, for us, when Red and Blue first came. I was, I was like grade three or something like that, and yeah, that was that was all it was. You'd just kind of be sitting in the, the, the doorways of classrooms, and you'd just, through recess and lunch, be playing on your Game Boy. It was the best. Yeah. Similar story for you. Yeah, I can't. I can't actually remember the exact years when I started playing it, but my first experience was playing it on an emulator. Oh, yeah. Because okay. my my older brother got one for us because I don't. I think he had a Game Boy, but I didn't. Yeah. And so I had a, an emulated copy of Pokemon Red that I just played and grinded on constantly. Very so nice. I just absolutely slammed every battle in the game. I uh, like that. I'm all about yeah. that. Yeah. All of the playing no, emulation. Like, Emulation's bad. Bad, bad, bad. But we did these things when we were children. <laughs> but smashing Pokemon Red, that's good. Yeah. And um, all my school experiences with that were like after or before school care and playing with uh, just like one of my, my friends before our parents came and picked us up after work. Yep. We weren't allowed to have our Game Boys in our schools at all. Not even like Digimon or Tamagotchis or anything. They always got taken off us. Yeah, look, I... I don't recall. I don't. I certainly, I remember the the Digimon Tamagotchi sort of phase that got stomped out by the school pretty quickly. But I guess the the Game Boys must have been fairly harmless. There weren't as many issues around that, so it wasn't enough to prompt the school to make any sort of large sweeping sort of statements. Unlike Pokemon cards, oh thanks yeah, to, thanks to some theft that was going on and and dodgy trades, that all of a sudden that can't bring those to school. Yeah, I but definitely I think the had an older safe. kid uh, steal, not steal, but um dodgy trade me something that was really valuable back in the day that now when i think about it i'm like man he really ripped me off was that first edition charizard no i think i had like a like a like a, a foil pidgeotto or something okay like that and he traded me for something stupid i can't remember what it is but i just remember it was not worth it yeah <laughs> congrats you got a weedle yeah. Um, so how did your taste kind of develop as you as you got older? Did you find yourself attaching yourself to any particular franchises, genres? Were you, um, you know, a bit of a console person, a PC person, particular consoles, that sort of thing? Oh, well, I never had a good computer growing up. So yeah. for us, it was consoles. Uh, the first thing that we had was a Nintendo 64, Very like nice. many young children. Um, and I, I don't think I really particularly gravitated towards anything specific for a little while. Um, it wasn't until one of my friends got a PlayStation 1 when we were in, oh, God, I don't even know, grade 3, grade 4 or something. 
timeline and sounds about right. Final Final Fantasy uh, Eight became oh, okay. the the game that we played, uh, and so a love of JRPGs came from that. Excellent. And then from then onwards, it was kind of like I love these kinds of games. I mean, I love all kinds of games, um, but that that genre in particular is probably my favorite out of them all. And do you still? Do you still kind of really explore the JRPG genre and try and dabble when and whenever and wherever you can? I do a bit, yeah. Um, mainly just big releases now because I'm sure you're aware as an adult, your time is split between many, many different things. Mate, um, I've just been, I can say it now because I'm out of embargo. Like, it took me a full month to play through Fire Emblem Warriors and that's a, that was like a 30-hour game. I just need to put an hour in a day and I, and I didn't get there thanks to some work circumstances. Not so much the kids' stuff in the end, but... Like, holy shit, adulting takes time. Yeah. <laughs> Let yeah, alone, so, in your case, if you're making a game at the exact same time. Yeah, so I, I I try to pick and choose what I play, although I still just buy absolutely everything and it just perpetually sits on my shelf. Like, half Something of these things in the background. Yeah, for anyone listening, I have a very large shelf of video games behind me in my uh, camera, and probably half of them I haven't even played. They're just there because I like to collect them. Yeah, look, my my IKEA Billy bookshelves are just behind the camera, unlike uh, unlike yours that are kind of behind you, and it's a similar sort of story. So, um, you you do what you can, and look, there's I would say I've played through the majority of what's there, but when I say the majority, I mean like it might be fifty one forty nine split. <laughs> it's it's still it's still pretty dicey most of the time, especially the the nature of a lot of the stuff that I do. But that's that's a whole that's a whole other thing anyway. Um. So I guess in that JRPG space, it means you're looking forward and we were talking pre-show about some Final Fantasy stuff, but I guess you've got your eyes set on 16, 7 Part 2, or Rebirth, oh, I guess now. 7, as 7 Part 2, man. I'm so excited for that game. Are I you, loved Rebirth. you still eating your humble pie after after some comments you made before that Final Fantasy stream? Oh, man. I had my clown <laughs> makeup ready. I was like, they're not, they're not going to show it. I was sitting there in bed with like the stream up on my phone because it was really early. And I was like, don't tease me. Don't tease me. And then they showed the, the Crisis Core remake thing. And I was like, fuck, that's all they're going to show today. And then and there then was a teaser for remake. And I just, I lost my mind. I'm excited for a couple of things over um, not E3. I, yeah. I, I actually thought it was a really, not the best, but a really fun week for games. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Like, there's still plenty of cool <coughs> games to come out of it. It was just, like, the way things were delivered was a bit weird and disjointed, but mm. some of the content is still pretty solid. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I um, I didn't stay up to watch anything, although I did get up early to watch the Devolver Showcase for um, totally non-biased reasons. Why would you? Nothing yeah. to see there. Nah, not at all. They're all you, terrible games. You were there games. for supporting the, the Aussie talent, like <laughs> the other game that was there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually, I guess out of interest, given, you know, same publisher, same country, did you know that there was going to be another Aussie title there showing and a game that, along with yours, really kind of stole the show? Um, Honestly, no. I had no idea. Like, for me, personally, on the team, I am kind of, like, insulated from all the Devolver stuff. That's all Julian Jane, Jimp's domain. Yeah. That's fair. Um, And... I guess it just makes it all the more exciting when you realise, oh shit, there's a there's a whole other team, you know, just a couple states away that are doing some awesome stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm sure the messages start flying after that. <laughs> yeah. So as we start to kind of jump into your career a little bit, how did 
how did you first, I guess, decide that making games was something you actually wanted to do? As as I was kind of picking around and doing my research today, I did know like you've been developing games in various different capacities since you know going back to two thousand six, which I think timeline wise, I'm you know you're a couple of years younger than me. You, we're talking you being about 15, 16 years old here. So what did, what did that look like for you? What we you, you know what sort of ideas were bubbling along there? How did you actually? make the decision that this was something that you wanted to pursue i guess on a more potentially more casual level at first but then really seriously after that yeah so my career path was kind of a, an interesting one in that it zigzagged a little bit so my my the very first time i had an interest in like making games would have been way before i actually started doing it yep. in the uh, aforementioned after school care and one of my old friends from primary school we used to get pieces of A4 paper, cut them in half, fold them up and staple them together to make like PS1 sized instruction booklets. Oh yeah. Okay. And then and then make up video games and write our own instruction books for them. And they were usually like little Final Fantasy ripoffs or something. But that's really um, cool. But we would do it cover to cover and write the little like PlayStation strip down the bottom and do all these character bios and, and screenshots and controls and like the whole thing, you know, because we we had the, you know, physical copies of Final Fantasy seven, VII, eight, and nine, and we could just like pull the books out and use them as inspiration, and then kind of just make stuff up from there. Um, so I mean cool. that that's kind of like the genesis of it. But what I wanted to do initially was be an animator or an artist or something. Yeah. You know, uh, I spent a lot of time playing games on the web, so. When we were younger, you know, Flash was quite big. Yes. Uh, and I spent a lot of time on Stick Death and Newgrounds. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so I used to play games there a lot and, and just, like, watch all these incredible animations and incredibly creative stuff that people were doing and just be like, man, I want to do that. Uh, so my dad, maybe when I was God, 12... Got me a copy of Macromedia Flash MX nice. long before it was an Adobe product. But that's 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 an investment. That's a show of faith. Oh, no, no. I don't think he paid for it. <laughs> oh, that's a show of faith. <laughs> <laughs> um, an inexpensive and, one. And yeah, and then I kinda, he kind of just gave it to me and said, go from here. And I kind of just sort of tinkered around with it, trying to figure it out myself. And uh, man, it's it's such a fun thing to just have no idea what you're doing but getting results because of just how versatile that program kind of is because you can draw in it you can animate it in it you can do pretty much everything you need to do to make a game except for you know like sound or something and get results really really quickly yeah Uh, so it kind of started from that where i tried to do these like i i I'm a very ambitious person, so I always like to do very large projects. So you naturally uh, tried to make a JRPG with your first little <laughs> flash no, project, No, I, right? I wanted to make like a like a feature-length animated series kind of thing and put it on Newgrounds and be like, oh, yeah. the best. Um, and obviously didn't hit that mark because it's a <laughs> lot more difficult than you expect when you actually start doing it. Um, but as time kind of went on, I learned, you know, you can do scripting because like I, I wanted to do these animations but have like a cool dvd style menu at the front so you could like click play and chapter select oh yeah all these extras and stuff so i'm like you can actually do a little bit of scripting here you know and then 
you learn a little bit more about that and it's like, oh, okay, this is how they make those games. And then that kind of just like cascaded into making these really, um, <laughs> again, ambitious ideas for for games that were way too large than I could handle. Um, but it's, it's kind of cool because you do like all of these little things that fail and then you learn a ton of stuff oh, while yeah. doing it. So then you start a new project and you've got all this this knowledge from the previous one to carry over and you start doing things better and you know you kind of just like keep working yourself uh working your way up to making you know cooler and better things and so i, I don't actually have any formal background with programming i kind of yeah. just taught myself and that's basically where it all started hey being self-made is pretty cool and again i mean what you've described there in a nutshell that is just it's the way anyone kind of learns stuff you it's constant constant growth constant development it's pretty sweet I'm all yeah that. so i mean i i studied at university i did a game design degree but like yeah, my mit right yeah my yeah. um like professional field is a, as a programmer so i didn't actually do really any programming classes there so all of that is like a hundred percent from learning on my own or learning from people above me at other jobs yeah. so no, that's, that's, that's pretty sweet, though. Now, a game that I kind of had noted from that kind of really early phase, uh, Four Second Firestorm? Yeah. Uh, so the Newgrounds forums were just like a hotbed of people all collaborating together. And I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's how, like, Julian and Jay met. Um, uh, yes. I, yeah, I think yeah, Jay was talking about that when he was on the show like recently. That. Yes. Um, and there was this these collaborations where... Uh, a guy named John Cooney would just like gather a bunch of developers and they could contribute stuff and then Armour Games sponsored the whole thing and they would divvy up like the check at the end of it. Yep. So, you know, as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm going to make some cool stuff and put it in there. And it was it was basically like WarioWare, but you have four seconds or less to finish the game. And it was just like rapid fire, lots and lots and lots of little games. Um, and kind of cool. Cons- yeah, considering I like to make things quite large and ambitious, that kind of forced that limitation on me to make some really, really simple stuff. Um, so I made three games, I believe, that all ended up making it into the project because you would submit it and then they would review it and then say yeah. yes or no. Um, so all three of the ones that I did got in. And then at the end of the project, when it finally released... They had these little like forum awards things and I received one of them for like the art and some of the other stuff in the the mini games that I added, which was quite a cool thing because I was I would have been fifteen at the time. And then I received And for the most part you're just screwing around learn trying to learn your way around this stuff and all of a sudden you're getting awards. Yeah. I also received a a check in the mail for twenty five dollars US, which to like a fifteen year old is like a million dollars. Yeah. And you're like, oh, now how do I, I need to go convert this too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you know, from then I, I just, like, spent a bunch of time trying to make it some Flash games after that. And one of the, the games from Four Second Firestorm was the genesis of some stuff that I have made over and over again called Harvest, uh, which I'm sure you've probably seen. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be talking about that soon enough. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm, like, I'm I'm a sucker for kind of farm simmy sort of stuff. So, oh, so really? harvesters, yeah, harvesters, something I was very keen to pick your brain about. 
Yeah, it was the the mini game from Four Second Firestorm was like kind of different. You were this bear on a, mo- on a on a unicycle running away a from a combine harvester, which isn't really anything like what Harvest actually is, except for the combine harvester. <laughs> but it, it just allowed this really simple mechanic of just like hitting left on the the keyboard and outrunning a thing for four seconds. So yeah, it's a simple enough concept, and with four seconds, it's as you said, it's a pretty huge sort of constraint to put on anyone so um it would have brought out some cool creative ideas across the board and turned out it also helped in a small way with harvest yeah yeah it's it's cool because you got so many just weird little things ending up in that project like i think there was more than a hundred contributions when the game finally came out yeah i suppose Um, i think think, second bursts yeah i think you can still play it somewhere on the internet I'm not 100% sure. Go digging, people. Four-second uh, firestorm. Yeah, do it. See if you can find it. Um, now, obviously, we mentioned before, so you know that was that was a lot of kind of dabbling at home and learning, dipping your toes in, trying to learn with the community there. I assume there were a few other early experiments that you, you were getting up to as well. But then, as, as you mentioned previously, there was some formal education that you got there. You did the Bachelor of Design games at RMIT. Um, and then... I guess if I've got my timeline right, not that long after is where impromptu games and influx comes into the mix, right? Yeah, so I I started at RMIT in twenty ten. I had, you know, finished high school and I, I love to brag about this part where I had a my year twelve coordinator tell me I wouldn't be doing what I did because I wasn't a particularly good student in high school. Um now I'm a so... teacher and <laughs> I'm I'm gonna Put it out there now for any teachers that might ever be listening. Because I do teach Year Twelves as well. Never say that shit. Yeah. Do not. And I actually, sorry, I better. Oh, who cares about my language? I know the students that listen. To this. Um, never ever say that shit because it always comes back to bite you on the ass. Yeah. No matter what you might think, shut your mouth because <laughs> they will. That, that person will prove you wrong. Um, yeah. And also, no, just be a I, decent person. I, Show a bit of faith in people. But anyway. Oh, yeah. No, I, I had kind of a rough time at home when I was in high school, so I, yeah. I kind of just tried to get through it yeah. rather than Survival. be a good student. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I remember that still, and I remember getting into university and being like, fuck you, teacher, whose name I actually can't remember anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I went to uni uh, to study a game design degree um where i met a bunch of people uh like my partner who i have had a a relationship with for 11 years now and a bunch of other friends who all work in the games industry and some of those people have gone off to do really big things like you know go work in the states on big triple a games uh but i i met my friend joe wintergreen there and i he's he's pretty prolific in the you know game dev scene here uh he was making i know joe yeah, well, we he's making we a game. Haven't really spoken. He hasn't been on the show yet, but he's kind of on my list. And yeah, yeah I'm I'm certainly aware of Joe and and all that Joe's got. Yeah, up cool, to. cool dude. I have a lot to owe to him for sort of kickstarting my like professional career. So awesome. Um, yeah. So he was making this game called Influx, and he was in the uh, the course, same course as me, and he dropped out I think after a year or so because. I mean, at the time, the course wasn't particularly good from my perspective. Yeah, right. um, I'm pretty sure RMIT has matured their games streams now quite a bit, but when I was there, I wasn't particularly happy with it, and 
the teachers knew <laughs> and because I'm quite a, an outspoken, opinionated person. So, um, but yeah, Joe left and I stuck with it and he was making this game and uh, he was doing it with um, Unreal Engine 3, which at the yep. time was like a big deal that you could get UDK and like make these games with it for free and you would, you know, be able to do all this stuff with Epic. Um, and they used Flash for all their user interface, not all of it, but one of their main user interface things was using Flash and Scaleform. So me having the skills that I had, being able to do fit. stuff in Flash, yeah, I, I became like his UI guy. Uh, so I worked on that for a bit, and you know that that's kind of where this this awesome sort of like cascade of jobs came from after working on that. Uh, so that that was kind of like my first foray into you know, working professionally for someone as like a freelancer and yeah, it was great. And I guess, how do you think back on that time considering, yeah, it was the first kind of professional or I guess formal proper gig, whatever sort of language you want to use there. Obviously a lot of uh, water has passed on the bridge since, but like, how do you think back on that period and kind of, I guess what that first experience was like? It was good. It was, it was one of those things where it was like, I was learning a lot as I went and I think yep. back at the code that I wrote and I cringe as is the case with pretty much every past project. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I have nothing but positive feelings about that. You know, uh, we got into the, the very first indie showcase at PAX here in Australia, which was yep. like, I, I had never gone to a big convention like that before that alone behind the scenes. Any. Yeah. Um, well, no, that's actually not true. We had that eGames Expo here. Oh, yeah, the EB one. Years. That's right. The EB would have been kicking along just a bit before that. Good point. Yeah. Um, but I'd never been behind the scenes or, you know, met anyone in the industry there. So I, I went around and I was just the most starstruck 20-year-old you can imagine. Uh, and it was wonderful. You know, we, we went there and we boothed for three days and just had a blast. So, um yeah, no, nothing but positive feelings about that. It was great. No, that's that's awesome to hear. And as you said, like several opportunities, kind of you know, in oh, kind of rapid fire sort of opportunities, all kind of stemmed from from that. I guess as we as we kind of go through a bit of a list here, there's there's Circle Five Studios where you worked on Primal Carnage Extinction. Uh, that was UI engineer, an yeah. UI engineer role there. Um, yeah, so got... that um, I got referred to them by. Uh, friend of joe's chris murphy who now yep. works for epic games uh, at the time and his company pub games and circle five were kind of doing this collaboration to work on primal carnage extinction what they were doing was essentially uh rebuilding the primal carnage game from the ground up to sort of help maintain it a little bit more and yep. give it a little bit more legs because sometimes when games are put together they're very difficult to uh expand sticky tape glue yes all those sorts of things that just very much together. so this happens a lot so uh sometimes the best way to maintain something is to just tear it down and start again uh which may not have been the best choice for this particular project but who knows in hindsight i i, I left that a very long time ago so yeah, again, you know, lots of water that's passed under the bridge since then. I guess that, yeah, that links to, again, several other kind of mobile and licensed sort of tiles that you were working on over the, in the meantime there. We've got Dalo Digital, there's Millipede, there's Panda Arcade. Like, the, there's there's quite a few kind of, and, you know, in some, some capacities, they were shorter stays and others, um, you know, a couple of years. But 
working on lots of different uh, projects through that period. I guess I, I mentioned license stuff. You were working on a BP, like a game with BP there. There's yeah. there's a Nike title. Like there's, um, I guess, some interesting titles along the way there. Yeah, it's it's interesting going from... So I, I finished up Primal Carnage uh, before they launched. So that was just like purely a PC and a con- intended to be console game. Um and then spent a couple of years working on my own thing because the the only kind of capacity I had on my own was just to make like a small mobile game. Yeah. Which then got me into jobs doing mobile stuff. And then Millipede, that that job was just lots and lots of different projects all the time because it was just client work. Yes. Uh, for the most part, no no actual, you know, internal IPs or anything. Um so a huge huge wide array of uh experience came out of that yeah what's it like working on um again like um, you know i mentioned nike and bp like they're not the sorts of brands that we tend to associate with video games outside of you know nike shoes in in an nba game and even then i reckon they're probably using ad one um so i like what's that like working on titles where you've got these these big i mean you've got corporate overlords within any sort of uh you know space but then you've got this next tier and these are some of the biggest businesses in the world um what was that kind of like to be involved with yeah it was interesting like so i when i worked on those i was just a a junior programmer at this company so i there was kind of a degree of separation between me and the corporate overlords although i did sit in a couple of meetings on the bp one which were uh interesting (laughs) to sit in a in a room full of like 10, 15 people all talking about this thing and the client not quite understanding stuff about video games or, you know, this person not quite getting it or that and that and just, like, sort of taking in the conversations that they all have and not really saying too much. Yeah, so got... it, it was kind of nice to just be able to, like, sit in and sort of... Uh, Experience. Try to absorb what the, the client-worker relationship thing is like. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting and um, certainly not something that... I guess happens all that often. I guess. Oh look, I'm, there's, there's certainly these uh, these sorts of titles we do still see exist. But I guess as you've kind of your experiences have kind of grown and the sorts of games you've come to work with have changed a little bit. Um, I guess or reverted back to even the more traditional for want of a better phrase. Um, probably not experiencing as much of that these days. Oh, absolutely not. Like as soon as I left that company and I was there for. Three and a half years, maybe, maybe close to four. I think. Um, I just it was just straight back into like like quote unquote regular games, um, or you know mobile and now console again. Um, but though those experiences were invaluable because there's there's a huge difference between working on something that's yours and working on something that's somebody else's. Yeah. Uh, both in like the freedom of creativity that you get um the timelines and just like what you can do um so the 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 client stuff is kind of like a bit restrictive creatively versus what we do now which is quite free because it's like it's ours we can do kind of not whatever it's your baby you can kind of grow grow and and mold based on the needs of the team and the things that the team recognizes and the dreams and creativity of the team yeah whereas something like bp was this is theirs, what they kind of say goes if they want something changed. And yeah. um, they wanted some stuff. I remember they wanted some stuff changed quite late, which ended up in quite a few late nights there. Um, 
So you're always at their mercy, which is never fun. But I I mean, people like to just go, oh, BP, whatever. But it, that was a fun project too, because it was like this live service competition thing where you could scan codes and play this little game and stuff. And we had billboards and TV ads and all this thing. And, you know, that was the, the biggest sort of exposure, something that I worked on got. Yeah. And a friend and I just went down to his local server and took photos in front of the ads that they had there and everything. Yeah, why not? It it's still, it's still it's something fun. you worked on. Yeah, let's ignore yeah. the corporate overlord and, uh, and know, how horrible BP they is are they're for doing the environment. The world. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. Uh, when I say ignore, like ignore for a split second while we, while we have this conversation and then we'll get back yeah. to hating on them again afterwards. But mm. yeah, like it's at the end of the day, you still created something really, really cool and um, enjoyable from from that, regardless of who that that company happens to be, and it's still something that I totally don't blame you for celebrating at the time. Yeah, and I over the last couple of years, I've met people every now and then who have played it, and it's like that's cool. You're one of the uh, close to a million people who downloaded this app. It's not an insignificant it's number. Like, yeah, no, it's not. It. We all were watching it, and we're like, oh my god, that's so many people. Yeah, um, I mean. Oh, like obviously a million these days the the that perspective has changed a little bit in the mobile space in the years since but um i mean a million is a million like it's a yeah. lot of people playing a game so that's that's more than i can imagine in one space <laughs> yeah yeah I, I couldn't couldn't possibly fathom that but um i guess one thing that you mentioned as we were talking about all those various titles is the fact that along the way and actually we touched on this at the very beginning too we're working on some of your own work and that's where studio zero is and and you're you know you're developing obviously we've mentioned harvest already but you know you're, you're developing your own games in parallel to all this full-time stuff what was that like for you trying to spin those plates um i mean it was kind of i mean not that hard i guess but it's it's one of those things where i just really fucking love what i do so I don't mind spending a day working on something that's somebody else's and then spending the evening or the weekends working on something that's mine. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit different now because the Call for the Lamb is a game that I'm very passionate about, so I feel very creatively fulfilled when I'm yeah. done for the day. Uh, so I don't really work on stuff in my spare time, not like a specific game or anything. I do like little projects here and there, but um, nothing serious, but... No, I, I liked it because I, I could go and do all this stuff and learn all these new programming things from all of the other devs there and then come home and apply that to my own projects and yep. just sort of like slowly build these little mobile games by myself. Because, you know, the, the aim was, and I you might laugh, I, I have this note written to myself on a, on a whiteboard in my room for the last five years that says Studio Zero will be your full-time job one day, no matter how long it takes. Uh, so no, that's kind that's, of always been the goal. The motivation um, is always important. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to look up whenever I'm feeling blue. I look at it and I go, oh, maybe one day. Uh, it used to actually say I'll do it before I'm 30, but that has passed. <laughs> yeah, we're now 31. We're in the 30s, as we said before. Yes. So, um, but, I mean, like having those dreams is always important, and why not? Yeah, I, I, um, I like it when there are people who have the initiative to kind of do that stuff and see that stuff through to the end as well like i think it's cool yeah yeah it's all super super important but um i guess as as your own studio is kind of kicked off on the side and you are doing full-time day work you mentioned before that obviously some of these ideas from back in the the flash era were there and obviously we've already touched on how it kind of links to harvest but like how soon did you land on 
that idea like or i guess dredge up some of those former ideas and you know concoct something more modern i guess ah well it's it's funny you say that i <laughs> i've built harvest four times now yeah right. um, so it's so it's not this this thing where i've kind of like did it when i was young and then put it off to the side and then came back to it later it was kind of one of those things that i came back to repeatedly over time um which is a bit silly to be like oh you made the same game four times why <laughs> like I, mean, I actually look at did, Call of Duty, uh, it's the same thing every year. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually did um, a talk at New Zealand GDC a few years ago. That yep. was basically just about my career um, through the lens of like building Harvest those many times because I love talking about myself and I love talking about it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it did that. That first iteration was from Four Second Firestorm, and I was like, oh, this is cool. I won this little award for it. I'll I'll go and I'll make it again. I'll try and get like a flash game sponsorship or something because yep. there were these companies that would, you know, pay, give you money to put their logo and all this sort of stuff on your flash game. Um, so that was the goal. I was like, I want to make a little bit of money doing this. I didn't because the game wasn't very good. So I, I did Harvest. I think I called it Harvest Plus. Uh, and it was, I mean, it's it's a bit rubbish. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it again, but better. Then I made Harvest Plus Plus, which I never actually finished, although it was quite close. Um, and that kind of just sat there. And like years later, when I was at uni, I was talking to a friend of mine at a bar once, and like I made I made mine from high school, and we we're talking about mobile games and stuff. And he goes, "Oh, you should just make a mobile game of Harvest. You know, do this this cool game." Yeah, and so that not? sort of like sat there and percolated for a while, uh, and then you know. Crossy Road got huge, so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll give it a go, all right? So after I um, finished up working on Primal Carnage, I kind of didn't really want to work for anyone for a little bit, because I had a couple of bad experiences working on that project, yeah, right. so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to build my game. I got a bit of savings, I can support myself for a little bit, um, I'll teach myself how to use Unity, and I will make a video game. And so tried to, to, so Harvest, <laughs> the original Flash game has quite a weird art style. So I was like, okay, let's not Revamp do it. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll make like family friendly, approachable art and do all this fun stuff with the farm and try to make this kind of silly, funny game because I, I firmly believe that if you make something that is absolutely hilarious, people will like it and stick with it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that, that eventually became a year and a bit of working on this silly mobile game about running away from Combine Harvesters. So, now, um, I guess one of the interesting things about the game itself, and like you've kind of mentioned, you know, Harvest Plus and Plus Plus and those, like the, the iteration, I guess, that, the, that Harvest has seen over the journey. But there was, I guess, like when the game first launched um, by kind of your own admission, like it was fairly well received, but it wasn't there wasn't the pickup from on the community side i guess but then there was an update that came out down the road that shook that up substantially what was what was it about that update and i guess you know you've got the the advantage of retrospect here and being able to reflect on the whole thing what was it about that that changed the trajectory of that game in terms of the eyes of the the community and the the players yeah it's it's really funny um for context harvest when i first released it on the app store made like 20 dollars and had probably less than 10,000 downloads. Um, and so I decided to, while I was working at Millipede, 
to sort of update it and try and fix a few of the things that were like criticisms of the game and redo the UI and a bunch of stuff like that to try and like, you know, make it the thing that it probably should be. Because when, originally when I was developing it, I like towards the tail end of making that game, I had some time and financial constraints that meant I had to get it finished and get it out the door, you know. Cut some corners. Yeah, so... I did that, and I, I played some of my cards, right, with Apple a little bit. The iPhone X had just come out as well, and uh, I, I fully supported that screen and all that stuff and ended up getting a feature which resulted in something like 200,000 downloads over the course of a couple of weeks, which was Not absolutely insane. Like, it wasn't life-changing money or anything, but I was able to pay the Studio Zero bills just for a couple of years, um, which was nice. It's pretty handy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, it was just like the company bill, so like the the occasional uh, monthly Adobe thing or something like that. So it wasn't like huge amounts of money, but it was cool to see this thing that I made suddenly get a lot more attention than it had before just from people playing it. Um, yeah, it's... really interesting times. I mean... We obviously spoke about a million people before with BP and those things, but 200,000 is not, again, in a, just a few weeks, it's still not an insignificant number. Like even if, and obviously you've you've been, you were doing other work simultaneously and those sorts of things. So um, you're not having to sit there and panic about the bot, you know, bottom lines and all of those sorts of things because you do have an income that's still coming at the same time. So I hope that as a result, that gave you the opportunity to sit back and go, 200,000 people is still a crazy number yes okay it's not you know it's i'm not suddenly a millionaire and i'm not you know debt free and worried for, uh, worry free for the rest of my life but that's a lot of people that you're putting a you know a smile on a face of yeah it was crazy i was so distracted at work for that week when it came just out just watching the, I had, the metrics yeah i had my my macbook like on my desk and i would flip it up every now and then and spy on the numbers and and then put it back down and then get back to work and they they were completely cool with it like um that was it's probably one of the most supportive workplaces I ever had when it came to that stuff. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's really it's 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 incredible going from like nobody playing it to suddenly a bunch of people playing it and then having a little bit of an income. Um, and I, the thing that I you know like to think about that is you know learning through failure. And I yeah. I saw so many of the things that I did wrong and tried to address those with this this little 1.1 update that I did for the game um, and now try to apply those because there's obviously failings in that 1.1 update as well in that it didn't make life-changing amounts of money and it definitely could have made more because I stuffed a few other things up yeah, right. and you know, carry that forward for the next thing. You know, uh, Always learning. Whatever, yeah, whatever I end up doing next, Shock Drifter ever gets finished. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, I guess whatever comes next is is Shop Drifter on the on the the Studio Zero side. We'll we'll get to a massive monster in in, in a second. But I guess uh, by your own admission, like that's kind of sat on the on the back burner for a little while while you've been working on on other titles, including Cult of the Lamb. Um, but I guess talk to me about where, where where it's at and what what the hope is. And oh man. I uh, I haven't touched that game in a very long time. Um, it's one of those things where I'm probably going to open up the code base and go, oh, and then slowly back away. Close and the computer and never, never look at it again. Yeah. No, it's it's 
it's funny that that game has kind of been in development on and off for such a long time uh the very first thing i did was just this tiny little prototype of just a trolley going down like a, a hill made out of some squares and i posted it to reddit and i posted it to twitter and people thought it was really funny because it's like ah oh, look it's the thing from jackass or <laughs> you know it's it's a, the quintessential australian thing of rolling around in a trolley um it, it's so I was like oh, that's maybe, a thing we do here yeah i was like maybe there's there's something did you ever there. do that Oh, Did you man, ever okay, have I got a story for you. So that oh, okay. game... This, this is good, because I've never the done whole... the trolley... I've never done the trolley thing. <laughs> the and whole I, now I've missed my chance. I can't do that. Like, I'll never, I'll never be able to work in this town again if I do it. Amazing. So... Yeah, the whole concept for um, Shock Drifter is... When I was younger, we lived on the base of a hill. Uh, like, a quite a steep hill. And I had some friends, and we would go down it on rollerblades or skateboards or... Or, or, you know, like uh, spinning office going. chairs. So we, we definitely may have done that in a shopping trolley a few times uh, and gotten hurt and then have also done that in our teen years as well. So I was like, this would make a really funny video game. Like, imagine yeah. rolling around a city street in a shopping trolley and then hitting something and then going flying and, like, smashing through windows or, you know, going through the front of a car or some something absurd that would most definitely kill you in real life, but... This is a fun video game, so that wouldn't happen there. So it's just fun. Um, so that's where the idea for Shop Drifter came from. Very And cool. then it's kind of just been been like quietly gestating in the background when I've kind of worked on it a little bit and then stopped to do other things or focus on work or focus on myself and then picked it up again and worked on it some more. Um, the plan was uh, to, to actually pick it up and do like a proper development cycle and finish it a few years ago to the point where I applied for funding for Phil Victoria and got it, uh, which I'm very thankful for. They are some of the most amazing people in the world. My goodness. Um, they are awesome. Yeah, so I I did that and COVID hit. And it changed it. Yeah. It, it was one of those things where like, I did it and then I I paid a bunch of people to help me out with the game and some some stuff it just didn't really feel right when I was doing it. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of just like kept going and went through the funding and did all that and COVID hit and then you know when something as huge as that happens uh, it was kind of okay I'm gonna not focus on doing all of this stuff in my spare time even though I have all of this time at home now. But I, I'm working in the same space that I would be working on my own projects all the time. So all I would ever be doing is sitting in the same seat in my home office forever, you know. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put it away and not really work on it. Yeah, but and, I guess I, maybe it's that, that difference of working on something, for a better, better phrase, for someone else, as opposed to working on something for yourself. And the way you judge and critique these things are very different. The sort of headspace you might need to be in to do these things is very different. So... I could totally see when you when you're trying to do this locked at home and nowhere to go that that can be more challenging than when you're completing tasks for someone else. You've kind of got the 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 creative mind elsewhere. Not that you're not creative, you know what I'm trying to say. Like the the, oh. the kind of the seed behind these ideas in the first place are elsewhere, and you're kind of helping them to realize their dream as opposed to trying to really dive deep into your own brain and work out 
what do I want for this? What what will make this better? What's good for the player? What's good for this? How do all these systems kind of come together in a cohesive sort of way? Um, it is a totally different challenge. I totally appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where um, when I was working in the city for Millipede, I was a an hour on public transport yeah. away. So there was always this section of time in the morning and in the afternoons where I would decompress from work and then come home and be like, right, cool, I'm ready to do this thing. But yeah. now, or uh, previously, it was like, okay, I finished work and I'm going to stay at my desk and then work on something else. I mean, I could get up and go, you know, you know, walk the dogs or whatever like I, I normally do, but it's 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 not really the same. Yeah. And when you work on stressful projects, as everyone gets all the time, um, not always, some of the projects are absolutely amazing and stress-free, but you tend to associate the space that you're in with just, oh, fuck, I don't want to be in here because it's work and I'm going to be frustrated yeah. and I'm just going to be like the crummiest person to be around for a little while. And then that starts bleeding over into your personal projects and it's like, okay, I'm now working on this thing and I'm in the totally wrong headspace and I hate it. So, yeah, it kind of just went on the back burner, um, which is a bit sad because I I love that project. I think it's hilarious. Um, and I really want to finish it. And, and I'm sure you will. And Victoria were really supportive as well. Like, I pushed all my milestones back and was late and just never finished anything. And they were all completely supportive and understood of, with it understanding and um yeah i'll get back to it eventually but i have, I have no yeah. doubt about it and it'll shape up really well and as we were talking about before it was and jesus was bringing back memories of yeah pax's past that like player two zone steven del prado was there you know to chat to you about the game back in the day it's all this weird cycle and i yeah i'm sure one day he'll be there again to to talk oh, to you about so. the game or whatever when when the thing does you know eventually come out yeah, that was a really good PAX. I, I was, man. Was that our I, last one? Was that twenty nineteen? Yeah, that was that was our last one in person. Um, and can't wait for this year, man. So that I that I PAX was. Forehead. Oh God, don't say that. <laughs> I still I still haven't had it yet, so I'm just and it's not to say you can't get it again, obviously, but I still haven't had it yet, and I, there's just this dread in the back of my mind that the moment I don't want it most is the moment that I get it. Yeah, I, I have also avoided... Self-imposed isolation before packs. Yeah, I've also avoided the spicy cough this whole time, and I'm I'm very scared. Yeah, it, it makes me a bit anxious, but we'll yeah, cross no. that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, I'll, that I'll happily cop it when I'm there. I don't care if I get to experience <laughs> this, I get to see all, see all my friends again. If I catch it off one of them, if I catch it off you, whatever, like, I'll deal. <laughs> Just let yeah. me get to packs. Oh, yeah, I miss packs a lot. That last one was great, so... When when I showed Shopdrifter there, it was pretty much right around the time of that deadline for Film Victoria to get everything submitted. And yep. working on one of those applications is a lot of work. Uh, so I had done that and been building this game, and I wasn't really quite happy with it. So I, I set up my booth, and I wasn't happy with how I dressed up my booth because I like to sort of um, dress it up a little bit so it doesn't just look like a white desk with barely anything on it when when i took harvest there i had this nice checkered blanket and this this little uh crate full of hay and vegetables and all this other cute stuff that was themed around the game and shop drifter was just like a monitor 
the Xbox accessibility controller there and a couple of mobile phones either side. And I was just like, oh, I hate this. But when people came in and they started playing it, it was a whole different story. Like, I did not want to be there when the show started. But as soon as, like, a little kid sat there for half an hour and had to have their dad pull them away from the booth, <laughs> like, the, the Next whole... Worth it, right? Yeah, the whole mood just got flipped upside down and I was so happy to be there. And just seeing people walk past and, you know, look at the sign and see the name and go, huh, and then walk off was, was enough to sort of make it feel a bit worth it. And do you think in terms of kind of that, I mean, again, obviously you've got other work in, in, in the form of Cult of the Lamb and those sorts of things that you've been really, really busy on for the last couple of years now, but um, do you think it's an event like a PAX, for example, obviously not necessarily they're presenting Shoff Drift at the time, but like that sort of energy that you need again that might just help re-spark that fire and get you kind of mentally going again for it? Um, I mean, it, it definitely wouldn't hurt. Like, it's always nice to have people uh, tell you your thing is awesome to help reinforce your motivation, but uh, I guess I'm one of those people who believes in just discipline over needing to be motivated to do something. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to finish this thing, and if I'm, like, not motivated to do so, then too bad, I've got to do it, you know? There are days when, you know, people don't want to go to work or I don't want to go to work or I'm grumpy or something and you just do it. Um, so I, I, I don't necessarily think I need that that push from, like, the public of people telling me that it's great or whatever. I think I just need to sort of sit down and do it and plan out how to actually finish this thing. Because, yep. you know, over the last year or whatever of not working on it, I have had plenty of ideas of stuff that can be different as just for the whole vibe of the game and you know, the UI and the, the, the whole uh, framework underneath it in terms of the code base and stuff. Uh, it's just a matter of carving I, out the time to actually yeah, sit down and do exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I look forward personally to that. Uh, hopefully that opportunity emerging and for you to be able to sit down and, and make the game the success you want it to be and then referring to your, your note on the board before that being the important moment that makes uh, Studio Zero its own viable option, your own studio that you can build a future around yeah me too although i I will be honest sometimes um the studio zero being my full-time job thing like comes and goes as to being what i want like the main thing for me is having a little bit of stability and working somewhere that i think is a home so you're getting that feeling with massive monster at the moment for example oh oh yeah i i had that feeling when i worked at millipede um leaving there was one of the hardest decisions i've ever made because it was just a lovely workplace and everyone there was someone that i could learn off of and the programming team was amazing and that's awesome you know now when i'm with massive monster i kind of feel the same i'm so like creatively fulfilled in what i'm doing um i get a lot of ownership over stuff that i've been making on the game yep uh everybody is just absolutely incredible at what they do and so for me it's like oh if i can kind of just find somewhere that feels like a home again i will just like plan routes and be happy and do these things and then if i make my game on the side and you know make however much money it makes it doesn't even have to be very much i'll, I'll still be happy yeah because you've got that creative fulfillment and and stability as you said before yeah so i guess this is the perfect opportunity to segue over to massive monster how did that opportunity first emerge 
in the first place. Oh, as, as as we were kind of touching on earlier, um, you know, they've they've had a bit of success up to this point. Um, and I mean, we were even talking before the show started about how like I'd kind of stumbled onto an opportunity to play the game way before it was ever referred to as Cold of the Lamb and or or any of those sorts of things. And um, I thought pretty highly of the title even back then in in its nameless form and and very base sort of figure, but. I mean, were you aware of the game prior to that point? And... Yeah, so, man, my my way of getting in with those guys... So I, I know Julian, like, he's just a friend of mine. I think we met on Twitter years yeah. ago and then met in person when I was showing Harvest at PAX and uh, Adventure Pals was on the indie showcase there. And we just, like, instantly buddies. You know, he's just, like, one of the easiest people to get along with. Julian is very um, cool. Yeah, and though so so we were just friends for ages. He lived in New South Wales and then uh, moved to Melbourne. Coincidentally, uh, just a few blocks from my house in Preston. So we used to hang out and get beers and do all kinds of shenanigans all the time. And I never really knew what they were working on next. It it was never, you know, sometimes you have friends in the industry and it's kind of like you talk about work all it's the tall. time. And for us, we kind of just like would hang out. I mean, we're talking about the games industry, but uh, there's a bunch of times we'd just sit around, play Call of Duty and eat burgers or something. Um, and so they they were working on this game that I had never seen. And I think one time when I was at Millipede, Julian was like, hey, for work. I was like, no, I really like my full-time job at the moment. Um, and then another time he asked, but I was one week into my job at Panda Arcade. Yeah, so right. I was like, oh, okay, I can't, I can't leave this job to go do whatever you're doing. Timing isn't um, his strength, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> and all I knew was that they were making a game about a cult. That's it. Like, nothing else. I had never played any of the early builds because that would have happened by then. Um, yes. And then I was looking to to leave Panda and was like, hey, Julian, are you guys looking for a programmer? And it just so happened that the stars finally aligned and they were uh, getting, you know, to the tail end of making this game. Uh, and that... I think it was in October last year, and yeah. I jumped on board like two weeks later. So there we go. As as we've learned, it's like Julian's timing is horrific. But you, as soon as you <laughs> say, "Hey, I need a programmer," oh sweet, yeah, yeah actually we do. Come aboard. So yeah, it's, it's I am all you. Very, very lucky. Incredibly persuasive. Clearly, <laughs> I'm the best. <laughs> I am awesome, and you will hire me. I'm fantastic. Okay, you're on board done um so so what's it like what's it been like working on the work, working on the game since then we are closing in on the august 11th release date um there is quite a little bit of uh, quite a bit of buzz around the title every time it pops up there's a lot of excitement whether it's in the the devolver showcase recently from not e3 key three um and you know all the you know various other opportunities when you know new trailers pop or any of those sorts of things there's there's a lot of buzz about the game there's a lot of excitement what's what's that been like to be trying to kind of be head down, bum up, working on the game, and yet have this this, this external buzz, this noise kind of in the ear, or you know, you, you dive through Twitter, and we were talking about it before the show. You, you and everyone on the team are kind of combing through, and you're seeing videos from recent Steam Next Fest de- uh, playthroughs, or you know, just tweets that people put out there, whatever it happens to be. Like it is a lot of noise that's going on about the game. How do you, t- you know, kind of push that out and focus on the task at hand? Uh, well, for the first couple of days, I didn't. <laughs> when the demo launched, uh, it was kind of just like responding to people on Discord or Twitter or uh, the Steam forums and getting incredibly distracted by all of the wonderful things people had to say. 
uh, and then sometimes the uh, not so wonderful things people have to say, because as the internet goes, someone gets angry about something. Um, so that that's always fun. Uh, although that's considerably less so for this game so far, which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, but no, so far it's been it's been great. Like it's a lot it's a lot of work because it's a very large game, and yeah. uh, my contributions to it have been like full on right from the start. Um, but it it is a wonderful wonderful project. I I, I remember talking to my partner about whether I was going to leave Panda to go do this. And we were both excited about the game because the first time either of us had seen it was that that first reveal trailer at uh, yeah. Gamescom last year. And I messaged Julian, I'm like, oh, what? You guys are working with Devolver? What the hell? I didn't know this. Um, and we both got really excited and then Steph got excited about me working on it. And I, I told myself, you know, I think this is one of those, um, you know, career-defining projects. And I still think that, you know. I mean, I sitting on purely the outside looking in, you know, having barely had any more experience with the game than Joe Citizen. And again, I just spoke about all the external noise, so sorry for doing this to you, but like, there seems to be something very special about what you guys are all making. Yeah. yeah again, it's, sorry. It's... <laughs> sorry to kind of throw that out, and you're still in the midst of development. You got, as we said, six and a half weeks to go, but like, there's, like, there, there seems to be something really special about what you guys are making, and you're right this could be one of those career defining opportunities yeah even if it's not one of those things that sells like a bazillion copies or whatever i think just like the the work that we've all done on it uh, and kind of the the bar of quality that we have on this thing is just absolutely incredible so no you should be really excited and uh what does it what does it mean to have that devolver support i mean obviously you mentioned kind of discovering it from that and oh my god you're working with devolver like what now that you're actually part of that as well what you know what's that like i mean i think the biggest thing with that is really just how much visibility they give the game like uh i might have mentioned before i'm quite insulated from all of the um the comings and goings of devolver digital yeah but just seeing you know the quality of the presentation that they put into marketing this thing is just absolutely wild so i i haven't ever worked on something this big before so seeing all of that constantly at the moment is just it's blowing my mind. It's very cool seeing some of the you know the lambs and stuff that you see at the various conventions overseas and and all the stuff like the Devolver is just posting onto their social feeds. Let alone obviously the trailers and the spots that they get with Jeff Keighley and all those sorts of things as well. Like it's it's all very very cool. Um, as someone who's cl- quite clearly biased and a fan of the game in this particular instance, but even just you know, watching on, it's it, it's pretty cool to get these sorts of opportunities, and yeah, it must be incredibly exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is, and I, I hope it's I hope it's one of those games that's like really successful, so we can all keep making stuff together for yeah. a long time. So, how I guess kind of uh, the other half of what I was talking about for how do you personally try and separate yourself from that and get back to the task at hand because it is a lot of noise, it it can be quite distracting, but you are so close to the end. Like how like what sort of challenges do you face around that? Uh, I mean, I, I get distracted on social media quite easily, so I really just have to close Twitter or put my phone on the other side of the room and just put my head down and, yeah. and work. You know, again, going back to that that discipline thing, it's like, okay, no, I can't can't look at this stuff. Got to ignore it. I have this all these, these tasks in front of me that need doing. Just fucking do it. You know? <laughs> no, that's, that, that's fair. And that's, 
I guess good luck over the course of these next few weeks. So I think that Thanks. noise is going to get louder. That's just my <laughs> that's just my feeling. So, I I want it to, but I'm also scared. Well, again, August 11 is not far away. So, um, sorry to compound the the scare. Six Yeah, yeah, that's right. We just have to be about four. Six and a half weeks is worse than August 11. Well, let's keep talking about August 11 then, because it doesn't feel as far away. It gives you more time to breathe, right? <laughs> Um, and so do you have, as far as kind of plans, and I'm not talking about plans for the game because I don't want to, um, not that I know anything, that's not me trying to suggest anything whatsoever at all. Um, but like, you know, post that August 11 launch, do you have some plans? Are you looking to take a bit of a breather, step away from everything for a while? I mean, where Shop Drifter does or doesn't fit within that mix is totally TBD, I guess. But do you have any kind of personal plans post, post the launch there? I mean, not really. I think we're all... <laughs> trying to sneak in little breaks here and there now before the game comes out yeah, um, right. because launch week for anything is always really really busy so yeah. you know I've, I've been on the end of that a few times now both for mobile games and other stuff that i've done in the past and you always get this influx of bugs or the day one issues patches or, or sort of complaints something. or something that come in that you just never found because uh, as programmers we tend to avoid our own bugs when we test because yeah. uh, we know exactly how this thing works in this exact order and it does this and this and this. And it's, you don't find it's yourself like trying to you break just... it as much. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, like, when that demo came out, we all spent hours and hours and hours trying to find bugs and break it or do all this crazy stuff to, to see, uh, you know, how we can, I don't know, get out of bounds or do some other thing that'll crash the game. But none of us found anything. That's promising. And then within, and then within really like, promising. the first hour of it being out oh, someone's like oh okay i'm out of bounds what happened here oh, i've got a black screen oh no there's all these bugs so i'm 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 very scared of launch week uh and i expect it to be quite busy uh but but after that i mean i don't have any plans for a holiday or anything i really love what i do so um i will just work on it and keep working yeah fair enough um yeah, I guess like you're obviously talking about it through that development side, but like, I mean, I was going through the the Steam Next Fest demos, Cold of the Lamb being one of those that I played along the way. But um, and I won't I won't out the out the developer. I don't want to make it feel bad or anything like that. You know, try, trying out demos there, one that I was you know particularly excited by, and then managed to break the game just as I was kind of going through it and getting close to kind of wrapping up what I wanted to do with with the game for that piece of content I was making anyway. And then the game just kind of broke at the end. I'm like oh. Oh damn! I oh, wish, no. <laughs> and this is now captured on video. This is going to be a documented thing, and I felt horrible at the time. Um, but I guess even that sort of feedback, and I guess similar sorts of things that you guys have received in in the Cold of the Lamb scenario, is probably all still really valuable stuff. Oh, oh yeah. Seeing like, how someone... did they do that? What what did they do that led to that moment? And you can maybe try and recreate it, and then potentially, or try as best you can to recreate it, and try and cancel that out. Yeah, I think people breaking your game is incredibly valuable because it, you know, shows you things that you wouldn't have thought of, like yeah. the the way that people play your game, that you wouldn't have done in any other scenario. Um, it, it's it's even just small things like oh, someone didn't interact with this piece of UI or something, the way that you intended to, or something that you think is really obvious but apparently isn't to yeah. most people. Um, 
that that's something that I look for a lot because that's kind of my particular area on the game is I've done all the user interface and a bunch of other stuff under the hood. Um, so honestly, I I love seeing that stuff happen. And sometimes when people break the game, they can be a little bit like, oh, this game sucks, you know, it yeah, doesn't have this thing or whatever. But for for us, like ninety percent of it has just been completely positive, and they will report it and then give us feedback. And you know, I've I've talked to a lot of people on our Discord and Twitter as well about issues or accessibility stuff or all these other things and just sort of trying to have a dialogue between people. I mean, things like, I guess, a very public demo like what we've just had is that, I guess, the timing of when the next fest was probably worked out perfectly for you all. But, like, is that... So, you know, part of the thinking when the demo goes live, okay, we're going to get all this stuff, like clear the slate a little bit. Let's allow ourselves a bit of time because we're going to collect things here, whether we like it or not, that we can that we can work on. Is that kind of part of the thinking even leading into that demo going on? Yeah, I mean, I think we expected some stuff. Um, like we didn't have a monumentally large list of issues or anything. Which is good. Uh, some of the issues that we did have are kind of hard to solve because we can't, you know, replicate them or something. Yeah. There, there's maybe like half a percent of users where input just doesn't work and they right. can't seem to navigate anything and we have no idea why. Um, the things things like that that leave us scratching our heads a little bit trying to, you know, figure out what's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely kind of just rolled, those issues kind of just get rolled into what we were doing at the time anyway. So like right now we're, we're kind of just like, get everything fixed and finished mode so polish 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 yeah bug fix bug fix bug fix <laughs> all, all the fun stuff right yeah the real art of creating a video game well as we start to wind things down again august 11 everyone please get excited for the game if you're not already uh it is Buy very it. very close uh all the consoles pc uh you know, consoles and PC. That's that's the thing. So make yeah. make sure to make sure to pick up Cold of the Lamb there on whatever your preferred platform is. Get excited for it. But as we wrap things down, we'll fo- focus a little bit more on you again. Is there anyone out there that has really inspired you and the way you kind of go about your work or ideas you've had over the journey? Has anyone inspired me? You mean anyone like, maybe oh, do I look up to a developer or, or something? Yeah, yeah, and that could be someone you've worked with or someone you've kind of looked at from afar, that sort of thing. Uh, this is going to sound really cheesy, and I hope you end up listening to this, but uh, my old boss from Millipede, Sam, <laughs> is probably, like, the person that I look up to most because he kind of acted as a bit of a mentor oh, awesome. to me when I first started there as a junior developer. Well, um, send it Sam's way afterwards so you can make sure that he yeah. hears this schmoozing moment. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. I'll be uh, linking this to everyone. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> But no, I, I think I have a lot to owe to him in like my personal development as a, a developer, not just in like, you know, raw technical skills or anything like that, but just how to, you know, effectively manage myself or other people and, you know, just sort of general approach to this sort of stuff. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, it's awesome. What have been some of the most valuable lessons that you've learned over the journey so far? And obviously you've, you've worked in oh. UI, you've dabbled in other sort of areas, but has there been anything that's really stuck out as being super important that's kind of helped guide some of your future work? If you think something's going to be done really quickly, it's not. Okay, always, always add like another 50% of time on top of something for how long something should take. 
I, I've lost track of the amount of times where I have been on a task on LAM or even at other things and gone, all right, cool, this should be done tomorrow. And then it's two days later and it's still not finished. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And it's not through a lack uh, of effort. Yeah, and it's not because you're sitting there hammering away at it for so long. I mean, it, it's fine. Like, things get delayed. Everybody understands that uh, estimates are never completely correct. But Well, they're estimates, um, for starters. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think like the one thing that I can always take away from stuff is that things always take longer than they should. No, that, that's fair. Um, and some kind of fun ones as we wrap things up. If you could be credited for any game in any capacity, you don't have to be you know Hideo Kojima with your name splashed over the front cover of the of the box art. But if there's any game that you could be credited for in any way, shape, or form, what game would you have loved to have worked on? Uh, to have worked on. Ooh. Yeah. And again, that could be I mean, a simple special thanks, even. Yeah. It, we'll keep it simple. If it was a special thanks, it would definitely be The Last of Us Part 2. I don't I, know if I want to have worked on it, because... It's... We hear things. No, I mean, there's that. There's that aspect to it. Um, but it's also one of those things where I like it so much, and I'm such a big fan that I don't know if I would have wanted to be an active participant in creating it. Like, you know, every now and then I see jobs the at these big AAA studios and I'm like, oh, I'm qualified for this now. Would I really want to go for it? Probably not, because I like these games and I don't want to hate them. <laughs> because you spent too much time around it. Yeah, I can appreciate yeah. that. Um, but no, that's that's one of my favorite games of all time. Like, I, I'm i a big Last of Us fan. I have, like, posters and statues and stuff all around my house. So, um, yeah, definitely that. Yeah, a fantastic choice, and I guess we can all get excited for part one coming out in a few oh months my to get to God. re-experience that. <laughs> I want it to be September already. Yeah, because you will have Cold of the Lamb out for starters and be celebrating that one, and then you've got this juicy temptation that is The Last of Us coming shortly after. Mm. Um, if you could, uh, and considering what we've just said, this might actually answer my next question. If you could go back and replay any one game, strike it from your memory and get to re-experience it from scratch, what game would you pick? Yeah, it'd be The Last of Us Part 2. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I spent an inordinately large amount of time playing those two games, so... But would um, it be... You did say Part 2 initially. Would it be Part 2, or would you... It'd, be, the, it'd be Part 2. Mainly because I think it's uh, such a challenging game yeah. for your own biases and how uh, you can see people. Yeah, it, I, I think it's a very um, interesting... Uh, like, look at characters and what drives them, and how our perception can affect. Uh, I don't. I don't know what I'm getting out here. Maybe cut that. But no, no. I, I think, I think it's a actually... really interesting study of character. Yeah, and actually, I mean, to kind of different sort of reasons. But for me, I would it be the game? I don't know, but it is a game that I would love to be able to scrub my memory of. Uh, not to mention that, but also all the bullshit around it. Oh, for fuck. the longest time scrub yeah. my memory of all that and just get to play the game for what it was all the rumours all the leaks all the bullshit that went on um, before the launch and then obviously, obviously afterwards but that had no real bearing on my actual playing experience initially um, so as you as a journalist did you have to wait through and see all of those spoilers and stuff before it came out no I very me, very actively put my head in the sand yeah um, me too I, I had filters on my web browser you know, I didn't I, have any filters I, set up. I, I, was I did not fortunate. watch any trailers. I didn't see anything beying that first initial reveal. I was like, yeah, no, right. I'm going in dark. 
and I am so happy that I did. Yeah, okay, that, that's incredible discipline. Uh, to, yeah. Like the the initial trailer and then nothing more. Like I, I kept across the content that Naughty Dog was presenting at the time, like the official stuff that was coming oh, yeah. out. But it was when you know the game got well, you know the game leaked, and then there was you know rumors out there. There's truth out there. There's lies out there, and it was just and what it did to the community as well, because there's stuff getting out there that's actually not granted in any truth whatsoever was just it, it, like I still avoided the spoilers but I hated hearing about them all the time like it was just it was just awful so I, I for different reasons would love to scrub my memory of, of that game and even the preceding two months and just get to sit down and play it again and not have to worry about that stuff just get to enjoy it for what it is and and I did I thoroughly enjoyed my time with The Last of Us Part 2 but there's there's this 10% that's just been a bit tainted because of nothing that Naughty Dog did, which is just such a shame. Yeah. I, I always think about that and kind of what the perception of some video games would be if there wasn't this uh, very public leak or outrage or something prior to its release that makes people upset for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, like Especially if it turns out it's wrong. Internet, the internet has deemed the new Saints Row game to be not good because it had a black lady on the cover. You know, things like that. It's just disgusting. And, yeah, and I, I want to know what it's like to live in the world where that sort of attitude doesn't paint the picture of what these things are before they're even in people's hands. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, the, you know, there's always first impressions and those sorts of things, and I can understand how you might watch a piece of content and start to form a judgment, but the way... The way the internet conducts itself after that, and the way it does, like it, there's just, it's that instantaneous. I've got to bash the keyboard and write, you know, my horrible, usually offensive thoughts in there. Just, it's just, yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't get it at all. But um, yeah, let I guess for the both of us, let's one day be able to go back and play The Last of Us without any context around it and just enjoy it again for what it is. You may not have that because I don't think you'd be able to stop playing it. So. No, I've played it like seven, no, six times now. Part two. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've played it twice and very much look forward to playing it again at some point. I'm just kind of hoping for the like a PS5 remaster. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see what happens. Um, so we'll wrap things up there. Will, thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing this journey so far, some really, really fascinating insights, and I wish you and the team at Massive Monster nothing but the best for the impending launch if people want to get in touch uh, learn more about the game learn more about what you're up to where would they be best to go? Uh, probably just follow me on Twitter even though I do talk a lot of shit and complain about things a lot uh, so that's at Will Mesolane on Twitter Fantastic and obviously there's there's the team itself so please make sure to go and um, go and check out everything that the team is up to again Colton Lamb's out very very soon send Will your best thoughts when it comes to Shop Drifter because he's going to get back to that and one, one of these days and you're going to have a blast riding down that hill in a in a trolley doing all the things that he did when he was a teenager awesome thank you very much and listeners as always thank you very much for listening I'll see you next time
That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to in an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Will's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.